Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Before we pop our corks, can I ask you a huge favour? If you don't already follow us, would you hit the follow button and give us a follow? You see the three little dots at the top right hand of your screen? Just tap that, hit the follow show tab. It's the first on the drop down menu. And ta-da, that means two things. One, you're never going to miss an episode. And two, it really does help us to bring you the very best guests there are out there. Speaking of which, on with the show. Welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is a star of song, stage and screen, who's been entertaining us for over 30 years as one of the hardest working women in show business. The daughter of a butcher and a barmaid, she was born and raised in Liverpool, where she studied at a local theatre school, landing her first paying gig at the age of 14, singing for pensioners at a local OAP club. In the years that followed, she secured a place at the prestigious Italia Con stage school in London where she studied during the week before heading back to Blackpool at the weekends to perform on its legendary club circuit. Then followed years at sea on the cruise ship, singing away around the world before she bagged the role of Lindsay Corkle at the age of 26 in Channel 4's Soap Brookside. But it was coming second to Jack D in the first ever Celebrity Big Brother that changed the game forever for her. With a newfound popularity as the nation's sweetheart, she landed a record deal, the lead in Chicago in the West End, became the face of Marks and Spencers and hosted her own shows on ITV and the BBC. Her career since continues to be a Rolodex of stage and screen credits, including Loose Women, Strictly Come Dancing, 60 Minute Makeover and the lead in countless West End shows, including Shirley Valentine, Education. Rita, Tell Me on a Sunday, and Guys and Dolls opposite Patrick Swayze. To put it mildly, she's achieved a lot, but without doubt, her greatest achievement is her son, Jackson, who she raises alone at their home 
in London. This month, though, she's heading back to her native Liverpool to join the likes of Graham Norton, Hannah Waddingham, Scott Mills, Alicia Dixon and Ryland as part of the BBC's presenting team for the Eurovision Song Contest. Claire Sweeney, what a pleasure to have you on the show. What a lot you've done. Thanks for finding wow, the time Wow, that sounds like an here. obituary. <laughs> it does sound like an obit, babe. It's fantastic when you hear it all. So, wow. Is, is it like the, your life flashing before your eyes? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. You know, I kind of... When you were talking about the early days, you know, being in college in London, I'd do Monday to Friday at Italia Conti. Um, they'd let me off in the afternoon. I'd get the train straight to Blackpool and I'd sing in Blackpool Friday, Saturday, Sunday, get home about 2 a.m. and get the, like, 5 a.m. train back to London and start wow. all over again. Every weekend? Every weekend, yeah. That was your apprenticeship? That's what I did, yeah. Yeah. And I didn't feel it. It was not like, you know, God, I'm knackered or... It was just what I did. If I wanted to be in London and I wanted to carry on gigging, and loads of my mates at the time were working in McDonald's, and no disrespect, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to sing, I wanted to perform, and I wanted to sing on the clubs, and I was thrilled. I was singing in the flagship bar in Blackpool. Which is a big venue in, it was in Blackpool. It great. Yeah. Cracking venue, yeah. And you must have learned a lot on that circuit. I mean, you were working with some of the really, real old-school legends. I learned how to, how to deal with an audience. I learned how to banter with an audience. I learned if things go wrong, how to deal with it. So I had no fear, you know, um, in musical theatre if things went wrong. I was never scared, you know, because I was used to unpredictability with the clubs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you work very much the same circuit and followed the same path as our lovely friend Jane McDonald. Yeah. And she has exactly that same wit and ability about her, which came from years of the, in the clubs and, and on the ships. Well, as you said, apprenticeship. Yeah. It certainly was. I remember turning up to a club once and I used to have sheet music and I gave my sheet music to the organist and he said, oh, don't bother giving me that, love, I'm blind. Just, <laughs> just shout out the key changes. <laughs> And I used to do this mammoth Andrew Lloyd Webber medley, and I remember shouting, memory in C-flat. <laughs> Take that look off your face in B. <laughs> and actually, your first gig was in, in Liverpool. It wasn't Blackpool. It was a, a gig that your dad helped to swing for you. He was a butcher uh, by bribing the club owner with a leg of lamb. Is that right? It's true. It was Tuesday night. It was pensioners <laughs> night. He gave the concert secretary a leg of lamb to let me sing. Um, I know, and I remember coming out on stage. I was wearing a bridesmaid's dress, and I come out on stage, and the compere comes on stage, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, she's only 14 years of age. Give the girl a chance now. Please welcome to the stage Claire Jane Sweeney. By the way, the bingo tickets and booties have been served at the back of the room. And I come out singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow and everyone just scarp into the back <laughs> of the room. It's like a Phoenix night set. <laughs> it, do you know what? We've literally sat in that chair, had Gary Barlow explain almost exactly the same yeah. scenario as one of his first gigs. Well, Gary <laughs> started off like being the, 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 in, in um, Runcorn. He That's was right. the organist in a club, wasn't he? Yeah. So he'd be the one who you go and give the music to and they'd sight read it and he'd have to play it and accompany you, which is the most wonderful grounding for a musician as well. Yeah. And that is going to give you 
everything you need on the night with the Eurovision to just talk for hours uh, because you're providing commentary on Radio Merseyside. I am, and BBC Sounds app, and they've done a competition to find the voice of Liverpool. Um, and they've been like, it's, a, it's like a star search all throughout Liverpool to find someone um, who's going to give their opinion as well. So it's, it's going to be quite... So you're, compare, you're commentating alongside somebody who's won the chance to be yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it, it's, it's, I don't know what like you know people in London will make of it, because you know when you're with a scouse, you always go more scouse, don't you? <laughs> so, so, so it's going to be good fun. Wow. Well, were you surprised when that call came in? I was. I was. I mean, when I heard of the Eurovision thing, one of my friends, Amari Douglas, set up this thing trying to get me involved, you know, like a campaign. An and online I, campaign. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, camp, scouse, musical, what's not to like? You know, I took all the boxes. Yeah. And then um, the BBC got in touch, and not on the back of that, I don't think. Um, it was on the back of my radio series, and they said, we, we'd like you to cover it for us. So I was thrilled. I think it's a brilliant gig. And the series you did for BBC Sounds, um, a show you did in lockdown, Claire Sweeney Meets, was wonderful. I really enjoyed that, Claire. And I do hope you're going to do more of those. That's you just sitting down, speaking to some of the great and the good from the business that you've crossed paths with. Yeah, I'm talking about... Um, I'm like you, I'm very... I'm nosy and I love finding out about people's lives as well. So part of the fun for me was the research as well. Because you do that thing like, oh, my God, I didn't realise they did that. Oh, wow, you know. And... Um, and we talk about music as well. So we're on, we've done three series up to now. And initially, I was going up to Liverpool to do it at Radio Merseyside, and it was the height of lockdown. You were allowed to travel if you worked for the BBC or you, you know, work permitted. Um, so I loved it. It was an excuse to get out the house and go and do a bit of work. And, <laughs> and, and, and absolute pleasure to do as well. Well, I love the fact that you're going to be on the commentary team because obviously, I mean, you are walking in some pretty big footsteps there in terms of the Terry people that have I mean, Terry, Graham. He was Brig Graham's fantastic. Ken Bruce. Oh, Ken Bruce. I love Ken Bruce. Yeah. I love him. But you know what? If you, this could be a gig for life, Claire. You could keep doing this forever if you don't balls it up. <laughs> oh, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so with, with the Eurovision in mind, are you ready for your first question? Yes. You're heading up to Liverpool and you're going to join the, the Eurovision team for the BBC. And then I guess for somebody that started out in Liverpool singing and dancing, this is a bit of a golden moment for you. So I wondered if you could give me some of your other glorious golden moments from years gone by, from a career that stretches now 30-odd years. There's a few pinch-me moments. Um, one of them was duetting with Jose Carreras on the Royal Albert Hall. Wow. Isn't that fabulous? And I thought it was a joke. I thought it was a wind-up the call when it came through. <laughs> Bryn Terville, who's a wonderful bass baritone mm. opera Welsh singer. singer Welsh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. <clears throat> he had a festival called Fainall, and I went and sang at his festival. And the promoters there got in touch with my agent and said, we'd like Claire to support Jose Carreras and duet with him. I mean, one of the three tenors. And I got my mum... And dad, I got them a box and brought them from Liverpool. Oh. And it was just wonderful, like being on stage, singing with him and looking out and seeing my mum and dad in the box. It was wonderful. That is a golden moment. Yeah, it was a golden moment. Um, another one is going to New York. I was in Brookside at the time. The biggest Liza Minnelli fan on the planet, right? And she was taken over 
um, Julie Andrews in Victor Victoria. So I flew over with my mum in the height of winter. We get there, it was about minus 10. And I went to see the show, watched Liza beside myself, come round the stage door, and it's literally like minus 10. And it's the days of disposable cameras. And there's all TV cameras waiting for Liza to come out and all that. I said to my mum, when Liza comes out, I'm going to put my head next to hers, smile, get a photo, <laughs> right? And do it quick. So Liza eventually comes out and everyone goes bonkers, all the TV cameras, and I go a bit demented and it's minus 10 and I can hardly move my face, you know. <laughs> and I've got this mad hat on as well. Anyway, there's a picture of me putting my face, like, angrily smiling next to Liza Minnelli. <laughs> Liza Minnelli looking at me in horror and a hand coming in the photo pushing my face out and my mum like taking it on an angle because she can't take photos. <laughs> and it's this mental picture, right? <laughs> How life can change in six months. I come home, I leave Brookside to do Celebrity Big Brother. My career literally explodes. And I meet Liza Minnelli. And she invites me to her, to a birthday party for David Guest and sits me on a table with Jane Russell, Liz <gasps> Taylor, Lee Zimmerman, who was in Chicago with me. And she comes over and she's drinking and chatting with us, arm around us, and she's singing, and all this. And I was like, oh, my God. If she only knew I was a security <laughs> threat six months ago. <laughs> So that was a moment for me. Oh my God, Claire, that's brilliant. Oh, your life can change so quickly. What was that evening like? We just sat there. It like, was mental. Was like having dinner at Madame And Madame's you know what was even more mental about it, Kate? I'd just done the very first diet cover for Closer magazine, right? Itsy bitsy teeny sweeney in a bikini, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you know when they did the, the, the big diet deals like 2002 well, yeah, or something? You did the DVDs and everything. Yeah, 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 literally starved myself, exercised, did the photo shoot and that was the first night I'd had a drink. Haven't like not touched anything. So the heightened excitement of Jane Russell, Liza Minnelli, Liza, David Guest, a new a glass of wine. It was all a bit too much for me, you know. It was like it was, it was mental. Did you keep yourself nice? Do you know what happens? <laughs> I, can see, I, I can smell a story. I come out right. Remember the days when they used to do upskirting? Yeah, upskirting, which is now illegal. It's now illegal. And I come out, and uh, I remember getting in the car and seeing a picture. Uh, of a guy on the floor, there was, and it was, for, I think it might have been for one of the magazines, where they do the upskirting and put a star on your Mary, remember? And of that night, there was just pictures of me with a star on my Mary, where kind of I had a tiny pair of pants on, you know, and that's what I kind of remember. It's all these mad memories of that night. Wow. But that should, that's, please don't let that be the memory you take from that evening. <laughs> Think of the, the, the dinner company you were keeping. Jeez. Jane Russell. Jane Russell and Elizabeth Taylor. Elizabeth Taylor. Is she... you know what had happened? Go on. I don't know if I should be telling this. My friend's husband said, um, I've written a song for Liza to sing to David for his birthday. I've written a song and she's going to sing it. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing, right? Liza gets up on the microphone and she says, 
I've written a little ditty for my husband and I'm going to sing it. And she claimed ownership of the song, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'd had a couple of wines, heightened excitement. I wanted to heckle her. I was like, it's my mate's song and I wanted to heckle. And oh, I'm like, getting, uh, yeah, and I'm getting my hand pulled down at the table. <laughs> yeah. Because that was a giddy time in your life as well, Claire. I mean, you'd done the club circuit in Blackpool. That led to the ships. You really honed your act there, but then decided, no, I'm going to stay, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to act and, and hang up the singing for a while. And you acted for six years playing Lindsay Corkill, didn't you? Side, yeah. yeah. Which is potent drug dealing lesbian. Is that what you were? Yeah, I was, yeah, when ratings dropped for a bit, yeah. Wow. It was great, I loved it, I loved it. And I, there was no boundaries, and it was wonderful to explore so many different storylines. And it was hard that time, because when they did give my character a girlfriend, I remember getting lots of fan letters from young girls wanting advice, um, saying, you know, they, they weren't uh, unsure on the sexuality. And I just, I just thought, I don't feel equipped to give these kids advice. Yeah. I'm an actress playing a part. Um, and I don't feel, you know... And nowadays you can just Google or go yeah. online and find Different stuff times, out. though. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and, and you, I mean, you were working with some of the greats. I mean, you had Ricky Thomason in that class, Sue Johnson. But straight after that, you were into the first ever celebrity Big Brother, which nobody got paid for. For comic relief. It was for comic relief. And... Jack D walked away as the winner, having tried to escape. But really, arguably, I think you were the true winner of that series because it revolutionised your career. You became the nation's sweetheart. Well, I think I was lucky because no one knew who I was, unless you watch Brookside. And I remember a journalist describing me as Bob once, Bird Off Brookie. And I think... As what? Bob, they called me Bird Off Brookie because <laughs> no one really knew who I was. I was in there with Anthea Turner, Vanessa Feltz, Chris Eubank, Keith Duffy, all massive stars at the time. And if you didn't watch Brookside, you didn't know us. So I just slipped in under the radar, stayed in the background for a bit. Um, and I was pretty safe, really. Um, I loved it. Um, but, I mean, it's a different animal now, you know. It was kind of... It was the second Big Brother at the time, and it, and it was a lot more innocent. There was no cameras in the bathrooms, no-one got paid. It was all safe, you know. But it did change the game for you because, I mean, it, it wasn't just a golden moment. It kind of gave you a golden ticket. Record deals, your own TV shows, the face of M&S, Chicago in the West End. I mean, all of that fell out of, of your success in Big Brother, didn't it? It did. It certainly did. And, you know, I don't know if that would happen um, to such an extreme nowadays because there was no reality TV at the time. There was no Jungle. There was no Strictly. There was no Ice Dancing. There was no reality TV. So this was a social experiment. And the only reality closest thing to seeing celebrities doing something with stars in their eyes. Yeah. That was the closest thing we had. So to see, like, Vanessa Feltz going round in a nightdress and Anthea Turner, you know, washing her face and stuff, it was all... It was new territory. And, and I think that's why I got such benefits from it as well, because it was all brand new. Yeah. You just shone, really, in there, just by being you. You say you stayed in the background... You're just a you are just a really nice person and everybody got to see that and then that made people want to come and listen to you on record and watch you in shows and opportunities just kept coming as a yeah. result of that I mean without Big Brother do you think you would ever have ended up co-starring alongside for example Patrick Swayze in the no. West End 
No. And listen, I was under no illusions. I went in, I auditioned. I decided to leave Brookside. I'd come out of a four-year relationship, the love of my life, come out of it. I was devastated. There was a few personal problems at home with my family. And I was 30, and I thought, my dream is to do musical theatre. I've not got a husband. I've not got a boyfriend. I'm single. If I don't do it now, I'll never do it. Um, and I auditioned for Chicago, and I was in after Denise Van Outen. Remember going into the audition? I thought I don't stand a cat in hell chance here, but I'll have a go. And I'd really worked hard on the audition. They called me back the next week, but I'd been offered Celebrity Big Brother. And in that in that period between the first audition and the second audition, I'd gone into Celebrity Big Brother, become a big star, everyone knew who I was, and then come out and. Guess what? I got offered Chicago, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I was under no illusion. It was not because they were bowled away by my talent. It was just the profile at the time. And yeah, I mean, yeah. it sells tickets, right? But then Absolutely. equally, you're never going to do another West End show if you're no good. And you've done, I mean, I couldn't, I lost count, Claire. There's been a lot. And you continue to act and tour. I mean, 9 to 5 was one of the, the most recent big shows yes. you've done. Yeah, that was last year, yeah. 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 It's huge. That was wonderful. That was wonderful taking over Louise Redknapp, who yeah. you've had on the show. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. See, I mean, you just don't stop. And it's 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 lovely to see you try new things as well. I came and saw you last year at Proud, um, the yeah. cabaret show that you did. I enjoyed that. Where, I mean, you literally set fire to your Mary. <laughs> I did set fire to my Mary, yeah. I kind of, I, I was doing nine to five at the time. And I knew I wanted to just go into territories and areas that I'd never been before. Musical theatre, you're safe. Uh, you know, everything is, you know, scripted or whatever. And I just thought, I want to be really naughty. I'm 50 and I want to be outrageously naughty, but tongue-in-cheek and have a bit of a twinkle in the eye when you're doing it, you know. And I come up with these ideas. I did a version of 9 to 5, a slowed down, almost swing, stripper-esque version. And I thought, okay... She's a, a madam, dominatrix, and that's her job, nine to five. Let's tell that story to that song, you know, and then light my fire. I said, okay, let's do that wearing leather and chains and set fire to me, Mary. Let's go up in a swing. Let's pull glitter <laughs> out of my bra. I was and sat there eating my dinner looking up at you going, yeah. blimey, Claire's on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was all done with humour and, and a, a little bit of a twinkle That's and a wink, great. you know. It's a great venue that you go there, you have, um, you know, a three-course meal, an amazing amazing cabaret show of which you were the star. Well, Denise put it on the map, didn't she? Yeah. Denise Van Outen. Yeah. She really put it on the map. And I remember seeing Denise's show, then seeing Duncan James's show. I thought, I really want to work here. And you did. I did, yeah. You don't muck about. <laughs> Stepping away from work for a moment, I mean, in terms of golden moments, I don't suppose they come bigger or better than your son. I mean, he's almost platinum, I would imagine. In he terms really is like you with your boy. Yeah. I know we've had lots of similar conversations yeah, about this. The absolutely. Single I, I, mother of boys chats. <laughs> I kind of say he saved me oh. from a vacuous life. You know. What do you mean? Well, kind of with work. My work defined me. Yeah. And I was always chasing and looking for the next job and... And I still do to a certain extent because I'm a single mum and I've got to provide and I've got to survive, you know. But the urgency has kind of gone out of it now as such. Uh, I'm curved. I say no to 
things now. And it's about, we were talking about it before, I've just been offered a job. I don't want to be far away from my son that at Christmas, you know. Other things come into play with my boy now. And he's just made me put things in perspective, mm. slow down, stop, and just enjoy things more, you know. And now I make decisions based on him. Oh, God, yeah. And you see things through new eyes, don't you? Yes. Like, I started to get... I never really... I always saw Panto as a way to pay the tax bill. And <laughs> yeah. if I'm totally honest, you know. And then, when he started to understand theatre and he came to the pantomime with me, I did one last year and he was absolutely mesmerised by it. He loved it. And he was like, oh, Mum, this show is amazing. And, and this and that. Nine to five, when the man hung, he still talks about it now. And as I see things through a child's eyes now, and it's it's brought so much joy. And also, when you know things go a bit wrong with you, with your career or work, and sometimes it can feel at the time like the end of the earth, the end of the world, you know. And then I think a child makes you put that in perspective. Oh God, big time! Yeah, actually, we've got our health. We're okay. We're here. It's not meant to be, yeah. you know. Because uh, he wasn't uh, well. He wasn't unexpected, but he was really, wasn't he, for you, Jackson? He, yeah, he was in a way. I'd had four miscarriages. I'd split up with Daniel. So you'd separated from I'd separated his from dad. his dad, yeah. Um, and I'd resigned myself to the fact, okay, probably not um, going to get pregnant. Um, and I... We you were in your early 40s, weren't you? I was, yeah, I was early 40s. Um, but I'd had my fertility checked. And... I still had the fertility of a 28-year-old. So I knew, you. I know, I know. And <laughs> <laughs> bing bong. Anyway, <laughs> so I was okay there. But um, I knew, I thought, okay, I'm not going to have a baby. Um, I need to reassess things or whatever. And I was getting over the breakup and da-da-da-da. And then I found out I was pregnant. But, I mean, literally within weeks or months of breaking up. It was a few months. Wow, I think God. it was a couple of months. Yeah, a couple of months, and um, and I didn't tell anyone. I kept it quiet. And even your mum? I don't I think maybe not initially. I just wanted to get my head around it. Mm. And because I'd lost four babies, I decided... I tried everything. I tried bed rest. I tried just sitting still, doing all the right things, you know. The thing is, it, it was easy getting pregnant, but it was hard keeping the child that's the thing and I didn't realize how common miscarriage is one in four yeah didn't realize until it actually happens that and happened to me and I spoke to friends and my friends were like oh yeah it's happened to me several times yeah. I was like no one talks about this yeah. really anyway um I decided when I found out I was pregnant I'd had a trip to Australia booked and I thought I'm gonna go I'm just going to carry on with my life because if it's meant to be, it'll be. I've lost four already when I've laid in bed and done nothing. I'm going to go to Australia and I'm going to carry on with my plans. And I did. And um, I Jackson came along and I got back with Daniel just before... He was born. Before he was born, yeah. Wow. I know. I mean, in, in terms of the best decisions you've ever made, that's probably got to be one of them, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it, to me, to be fair, it wasn't even a decision. It was just once it happened, there was never any question, you know, um, whether I wanted a baby or not or whether I was going to have the baby or not. I was always, you know, when I first met Daniel and I got pregnant, I was like, look, you know, we're not really in a relationship, a serious relationship as such. There's no pressure on you, but I'm like early 40s. I didn't plan this. It's happened, but I'm going to have the baby. 
um, and that was it. And see, that in itself is a huge decision to make. And, and also a huge decision to put on him as well, right? It's like, I'm going to do this regardless. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't put any pressure on him. Um, and, you know, it's it's the best scenario it could be. Now, we're not together, mm -hmm. but everything's amicable. Jackson's got fantastic grandparents. We're all friends. Everyone's involved in Jackson's life. Yeah. Um, and it, it's as good as it can be. And he's a lovely lad, Claire. You've done a great job with him. Thank you. And so's your boy. Oh, thanks. He's the image of you. I know. Oh, my God. So <laughs> much <bet>. like you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You ready for your next question? Yes, go on. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Earlier this year, I properly doffed my cap to you. Um, you were unknowingly photographed by paparazzi while you were on holiday in Barbados. And the pictures appeared in lots of the newspapers here. And you took to social media, you went on Instagram, and you beautifully articulated a response to the coverage. You kind of reclaimed the narrative, Claire, with the reel of all the images that had gone and done the rounds in all the newspapers. And you published it with a caption that read, the last few days of my holiday, I was unknowingly papped on the beach with my friends and family playing with my son in the sea. In my head, I'm two stone lighter, lol. I had the best time. I ate everything I wanted. I let it all hang out on the beach thinking no one was judging me. I'm not skinny. I'm not perfect. I'm very real. 51 years old with an eight-year-old son. I've put these pictures up to take control of my body image. This is me having a bloody brilliant holiday with a bit of flab and a few lumps and bumps. Thank you all for your lovely positive comments. I'm not having a go or apologising. I'm just owning it. Yeah. Bravo. <laughs> I was straight on there going, well done. Yeah. Beautifully said. I wondered what made you feel that you needed to do that, because I, I, I understand why you did, but that's for you to explain. But also I wanted to know when else in life you've had to kind of own it. 
seize control of a narrative and reclaim it. Yeah. Um, Barbados, there's a, a pap guy there who does all the pictures. And every time I've gone there, I've been papped. The very day I got papped, I'd done a, my whole holiday and I was sat with my mate on the beach, my best mate in the world, Dion. We're both 51. We're sitting there with our legs open, tits in the sand, leaning <laughs> forward. And I went to her, I haven't been papped, it's great. I can walk down the beach without being paranoid. I can go and have a swim. I can like not be having to think I've got to pull my swimsuit out my bum, you know, and all this I stuff. I can run on hot sand yeah, and yeah. not worry about the wobble. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And I said, it's great. And I'm laughing in the sea and the tides come and I'm getting washed all over the place and like a beached whale. My son's laughing. We're having You're not like a beached whale. We're having an absolute ball, you know. And then the pictures appeared. And it was the last three days of the holiday. And I got papped every single day, the last three days. And on the last... And I found myself not wanting to leave my son lounger on the third day and I wanted to go and have a swim in Jackson was begging me for a swim in the sea and I was looking round and I'm thinking there's no one there there's no one there it's fine I'll walk down I've got I, I put my swimsuit on there's cut me one piece you know covered myself up went down in the sea and we were having an absolute ball and he must have been hiding in the sea he must have been in the sea with his camera Right. Of course they hide. That's what they do. And I think it's a horrible thing to go through, Claire. I've been through it. And it's not even if you're it. body confident or not. And there's also that thing of we're from the era of the 90s. A, a Circle 90s. of shame. It's that thing of you put your head above the parapet, everyone's fair game. But that's that's the way I was conditioned for the, all the 90s. And today, you know, it kind of happened. It was like, oh, God, they've got me. They got me. And that's when I got the pictures. I thought... I've kind of got these pi these pictures are here and I'm hoping no one's seen them and I'm a bit, you know, I don't know. I'm just going to face my worst fear and put them out there and just go, right, this is me. This is me. I'm 51. I've had a ball. I have had loads of rum punch. I have had loads of plantain rice and peas and this is me and I'm just going to own it. And lots of, I couldn't believe how positive the comments were. So positive, because it's a day nowadays, listen, I've been guilty of it myself, a filter. I never change my body shape, only because I don't know how to do it and I'd have a wavy wall behind me. <laughs> but I have put a filter on my face and I've done all that. And I thought I'm going to put myself raw, unashamed up there and just have some sort of ownership over it. So I really applaud you for speaking up and reclaiming that. Did it change the way you felt about those pictures after you'd hit send on Instagram? and taking them back. Do you know, I did it, and I didn't think much of it at the time. And I th and, and listen, Kate, yeah, I kind of think, and you get a bit of a thickened skin. You know, I've been in the business for 30-odd years. You know, you do get a bit a bit braver and a bit tougher with things. When I pressed send on it, and then I started seeing all these, Joe Joyner, lovely Joe Joyner, sent me a private message. And she said, oh, Claire, I've not been to Barbados since. She said, I was so traumatised. That happened to me in Barbados. So many women messaged me, private messaged me. And even men, I'll tell you who sent me a lovely message. Um, Jay Rutland, Tamara Eccleston's husband. And obviously I've seen it happen to Tamara as well. And he just said, oh, well done doing that. You know, so it was a real positive response to it, which took me by surprise, really. I, I just hadn't thought about the response. I'd just done it and then put it out there. Yeah. And when else have you had to kind of 
do that, sort of take back um, the power in a situation like that? Um, in that type of arena, that's the first time I've ever done that. Um, uh, I don't know, it's what we were talking about before. Taking back power is learning to say no as well. Mm. Learning to say no to things. And for whatever reason, you don't want to do something. Not feeling you have to conform, not feeling you have to please all the time. And I think that's just coming with age as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think as you get older, you do become um, braver. Yeah, it's silly to say saying no feels brave, but sometimes you know when you're when you're in the industry that you're in, you're made you're made to feel that every offer is something you should be grateful for. And also, mate, I I do have this mindset, and I've got quite a few friends who are the same. Every job you're doing, you think it's the last time you're going to work. You think it's the last job you're ever going to get. Feel like that. Well, just in this last year, I've been saying no. I've I've kind of gained a bit more of a quiet confidence in who I am, what I can do, and my abilities. Um, and knowing I can do it, like, nine to five, the main role, taking over Louise, and it was, you know, it's a tough role. It was She's the engine of the show, and I learned it in a week and a half and went on and did it. Shirley Valentine, well, that was the biggest thing for me because I just didn't believe I could learn it for a start. And then once you do, like, things like this, you go, okay, I can do that. Oh, I've done that. Okay, great. What do your ambitions look like now? Because I wonder, as you get older, if that changes. I know mine have. Yeah, I'll tell you what I'm enjoying. In in theatre, I was like, guys and dolls, you the glamorous lead in the show, tell me on a Sunday. Uh, you know, you the glamorous lead, and then it happened in my mid-40s. The roles started to change. I started to get offered the character roles, the older cougar with the alcohol problem and <laughs> this type of thing, and not necessarily the lead, the second lead, and I started to enjoy it a lot more. Really? And I'm kind of going through, like, when I did Benidorm, it was a great character part. Scarborough, the same. I've just filmed another TV drama, cracking comedy role. And, ah. and I'm starting to get these roles now. I'm thinking, oh, I'm coming into my own now as a character actress, mm. which I was never considered. And I feel as if there's a whole new career ahead. And That's it's great. very exciting. That's great. And you're probably seeking out roles that you wouldn't have considered before as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Been seeking out and being considered. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. Is that you really want to play Miss Hannigan? I'd love to do Miss Hannigan. Yeah. I would love to do that part. See, that's not a sexy leading lady role. No. <laughs> that is such fun. Yeah. Such great fun. Yeah. So maybe there is an, you know, a whole new chapter in terms of the kind of roles that you put yourself forward for. I think there is. Yeah, th there is certainly on the on the in the drama front, yeah. And because I've got no vanity as well, I'm not afraid to look terrible, you know. Or yeah, yeah. so well, that certainly comes with age, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, exactly. There's only so much masking tape we can apply. <laughs> <laughs> I remember sharing a dressing room in Blackpool, and it, I just started in Brookside, and it was Doc Cotton. Right. June Brown. June Brown had asked me to do this show to save the donkeys, right, in Blackpool. Right? <laughs> when I was in Brookside, any opportunity to sing, I'd go and do it. If it meant saving donkeys, I'd go and sing, right? So I share a dressing room with June Brown. And she has this, like, remember the head sports bags? The yes! Head, yeah, she's got yes! a head sports bag. <laughs> and she puts it down and she's there in the mirror. And I'm watching her in the mirror. I can't believe I'm sharing a dressing room with Doc Cotton, right? And she gets out gaffer tape 
out of a handbag, right? Out of a head bag, undoes it, gets a neck, pulls it back, <laughs> does the tape, right? Gets the other side of her neck, pulls it back, and does it all with black gaffer tape. And she suddenly got this brand new neck, right? And then she does the bottom of the face as well. I was like, with gaffer tape? With gaffer tape. It was a masterclass. Bloody it hell. It was fantastic. And then how does she disguise it? She put a wig on or yeah, a roll neck? She covered her hair or something. I can't even remember that. Blimey. I just remember this tape when I get in the neck and whacking it on. Wow. Isn't that fabulous? Just an old school trick, that, isn't she it? Is, she was very fabulous. Yeah. A legend. What a legend. God, I'm going to give that a go. I've got loads of gaffer tape at home. Isn't that great? <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> Ready for your last question? Go on. You've recently discovered a new string to your bow, that of interviewer mm -hmm. with Claire Sweeney Meads. But it made me think about all of the unlikely friends that you've acquired because I heard you talking about how the radio show came to be. You were offered uh, the opportunity to make the show and you just realised that actually you've got a, f a, a little black book, a phone full of intriguing phone numbers that you've collected yes. from across the years. So I just wondered, who are the most unlikely uh, numbers that sit in your phone, your unlikely friendships and how they came to be? Because I'm intrigued to know more. Well, there's Don Johnson, Miami Vice. There you go. Let's start. Let's go. Let's start with that. Okay, so this is a, this is a fun one. I've done Guys and Dolls with Patrick Swayze who I literally fell in love with. He was wonderful. Was he? Was Don he everything you wanted him to be? And more. And more beautiful inside and out. He'd hold my face on stage, act to me. And I forget there was like 2,000 people watching. Every night I fell in love with him. He was wonderful, oh. beautiful. And you got to kiss him every I night. to kiss him. And then Don Johnson came along and took over. And Sam Janice and I were sharing the role of Miss Adelaide. She'd go off on tour and do a bit and in the West End and we kept swapping over, right? Oh, I'd go nice. on tour, didn't come back into town. So she kind of broke Don in, right? And then I took over the reins. And Don had obviously got used to doing the show with, with Sam. And I was a very different Miss Adelaide. And I am the biggest Barbara Streisand fan, right? And I know Don had had an affair with Streisand. They'd done a record together called Till I Loved You. I didn't know that. And apparently he'd broke a heart, right? And I, I knew this, like, trivial information. And it was a bit, he was a bit tricksy at the beginning. We kind of got off to a rocky start. And then I stood up to him, and we ended up becoming the best of mates. We ended up becoming good pals. Once he'd gained respect for me and got used to doing a different type of show with me... And on the last night, we had to do this kissing scene. Yeah, you just did your stage kiss, you know. On the last night of his show, of his, his run, I decided to stick the tongue in. <laughs> right? Not to do that. Right? Is, is, is there not an HR person? No, well, probably nowadays <laughs> I get into trouble. I went in for the kill with my tongue, right? <laughs> we come off stage. Tom Don Johnson. Was, yeah. And he, we, I, I come off stage, he was like, hey, whoa. Woo. What was that about? Whoa. <laughs> and I'm thinking, that must have been good. And then <laughs> and I looked at him and said, Don, that wasn't about you, love. He said, what? I said, that wasn't about you. 
That is the closest I'll ever get to Barbra Streisand. <laughs> <laughs> a gay man in a woman's body. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, what a put down as well. I know I was. It was kind of a compliment with a little slap at the end, wasn't it? It really was. Yeah. Backhanded as they come. That's it. That's, That's amazing. It. He laughed. Uh, I was listening to you explain your friendship with Fat Tony, oh. because you two are like the Richard and Judy of Instagram for me. The the chats that have unfolded between you two on That's the ground. That's an unlikely friendship, isn't it? Isn't it an unlikely the friendship? The most unlikely friendship. How did you, is it true that you met him when he crashed his scooter outside your house? Yes. So I'd seen Tony in Pimlico. Now what had happened was. Pimlico's where you live, we should explain. Pimlico, yeah. yeah. I'd bought the Sunday Times one day and, I, and I, there was this big double page spread. The most handsome guy, a story about him being a famous DJ pulling his own teeth out on stage. Quite extraordinary story. In the when of it, his drug addiction. Yeah, yeah. in, in, in the not what he does at every gig, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> he was in, like, the, you know, the grips of a drug addiction, yeah. And um, I'm surprised, you know, and he's surprised he didn't die. He was so heavily involved mm. with drugs. The most fascinating... And then I go to my local calf, and there's this crazy local calf in Pimlico, and often you'll see Simon Russell Beale in there, or you'll see, you know, the odd MP in there or whatever. And I can hear this guy talking behind, he's going on, and then I'd realise he's in the industry, and I turn around, it's him. And I said to him, my God, I've just read your piece in The Times, it's absolutely fantastic. And he was all a bit cool with me, he was like, yeah, oh, great, yeah, great. Oh, yeah, okay, cheers, thanks. <laughs> right, all of it, you know, that's him. Anyway, we kind of just kept... this. Yeah, yeah. We just kind of kept bumping into each other. I'm clearly not, I'm, Kate, I'm not Kate Moss, you know, or Donatella Versace, am I? So that's, that's, that's that his friends. Yeah, that's his friendship group, isn't it? Yeah, that's his friendship group. U uber cool. Anyway... I just kept bumping into him in Pimlico, you know, polite conversation. He was always very pleasant. And then the height of lockdown had come up my house and he sprawled on the floor. And he's kind of like close to tears. He's really upset. And I said, you all right, love you, when I've fallen off my scooter. I went, come here, lift him up. And I'm thinking, ha, who's uh, okay now? You know? <laughs> I'm up there and I'm up here and you're down there. Anyway, we laughed. Anyway, I picked him up and um, we became the best of friends. It was a friendship that struck up during lockdown. And we used to meet, once the cafes and stuff opened, we meet every morning in a cafe. And it's wonderful because he's opened up a whole new friendship group to me. Um, he's kind of put me on the Instagram map a little bit as well, you know, we just, it just secretly, we were in the park one day. Yeah, he loves you. And I love him. He apps, You can see he adores you and he adores ribbing you and pulling strips yeah. off you. And he revels in you. I think I think he really yeah, does. Yeah, it's a genuine love and a genuine friendship as well. He's the most loyal, kind friend you could have. Oh. And um, it's... You know, he, he's just a really good... But we're from completely different worlds. I remember he went to do Donatella Versace's party in for Fashion Week in Milana somewhere. And then he comes back and we're having a cup of tea in Pimlico on Lupus Street. And he starts, like, ribbing me and, and trying to lord it over me. I said, bloody hell, I said, you know, I bet you don't talk to Donatella like that, do you? <laughs> I says, if you don't want to be here, sod off back to Milan, you know. And we have that type of friendship where we're very brutally honest with each other. Uh, excuse me, have you got off with Don Johnson? No, I am. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but um, he's, no, he's the most kindest. And do you know what he's introduced me to as well? I've... 
when all my friends were going raving and dancing, I was never interested. I was singing in clubs. I was doing cruises. Um, I was into musical theatre. And now when I go to his brunches or wherever, oh, my God, his music is euphoric. And he's taught me to get really, really excited about dance music and stuff. And I'm kind of a bit... 30 years late to the party, but I'm loving it. I remember he he, he, did, he did the Century Club and he walked out with all these dancers to street life. Well, I'd never seen anything th so thrilling in my life. You know, the Crusader street life, but with a, like, pumping dance beat to camp. it. camp. He's <laughs> 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 taking the biscuit, isn't he? I know. <laughs> So that's nice. She found an unlikely friendship, literally splattered on your doorstep. Absolutely. From two different worlds. Our worlds collided, and I I love him. That's lovely. I love that. What about other unlikely friendships? Well, you know, sometimes you open your phone, you go, I can't believe that. For me, it was... I. I I couldn't believe that George Michael became my friend. No. Having been... You didn't tell me that one before. Okay. You didn't tell me. I was obsessing about George Michael, mm -hmm. and you just said to me, oh, he'd have loved you, and left it at there. You were he friends. He would have loved you. You were friends. Yeah, we became friends, and I'd been a lifelong fan. Did you go to one the final? No, I wrote... I, do you know what? I did tell him this. When my mum and dad wouldn't let me go, because I was still at school, I was too young, and we lived in Gloucestershire, and it was too far away. It was at Wembley, wasn't it? And my mum and dad wouldn't let me go. And I was like, please, please, please. And they said, no, absolutely not. You're too young. I phoned Childline to complain about them. Did you? <laughs> That's the kind of teenager I was. See, I'm really getting off lightly with my son because I don't have the horror that was me. That's hysterical. Um, yeah. Well, I went to one the final. I think I should have called Childline because Childline, my mum sent me to London with a pack of Mac, 20 quid and a yoghurt. <laughs> A yoghurt, a clear pack of mac and 20 quid. This is why he'd love you. Yeah, on a coach. And I went to Wham the final, pushed my way through to the front. <laughs> and I remember him coming out with the leather jacket back to the audience. Oh. Somebody told me. Everything, everything she, she wants. Everything she wants, open a number. And I had all these fantasies that he'd see me and get me up on stage and I'd sing with him. And, oh, my God, I was obsessed with him. I mean, Tony must have known him. Tony knew him, yeah. Yeah. Tony knew him. I don't give Tony the pleasure, though, of going... What's so and so like? I try to be, you know, I don't want him to know I'm impressed with people. <laughs> <laughs> he's not having that one. <laughs> no. You can do it with me, don't worry. I do, but actually, I love it because he's really close with boy George, and I, I, I love George. I was thrilled meeting him. Oh, I bet George loves you, doesn't he? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so, okay, unlikely friendships. So, there's mine, right? George Michael. I know, it's pretty amazing. Was he really lovely? Amazing. Was he kind and beyond? Oh, my God. Funny. Was he beautiful? Stunning. Did you hear him sing? No. Oh. And I suppose it was one of them. Your mate, you don't want to go, oh, go on, let's hear a bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of course you yeah, don't. Yeah, you don't want to be a knobhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, he was he was everything and more. And um, just just glorious. Patrick, but I'm sure you've got those same stories buried in well, your Patrick phone Swayze somewhere. was like that, yeah. Everything and more. Yeah. yeah. Who else? Who else is your unlikely? Well, I think... And maybe you, you know, maybe you had this as an experience as well. But when I joined Loose Women, I think it taught me the importance of travelling outside of your tribe, right? Yeah. Because I think up until, I think most of us end up staying friends with people that are of a similar age, a similar mm. life stage to us. And then suddenly I'm working on this show with women that are much older, um, pr predominantly, when I joined, I was one of the youngest yeah. um, cast members. But they were just uh, all from very different backgrounds, 
and they just taught me so much and mm. I just think everybody should have friends that are cross-generational yes um, because yeah, they I've always had older friends have you yeah from a young age I think singing in clubs at the age of 14 sure and it kind of set me back I didn't have my first boyfriend until I was 22 did you not yeah because I was always mixing with older people and it was all work related and da 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 da, da that I missed out on that young thing of going out and having boyfriends ah. mm. and I think with the business that we're in as well we meet people that are fascinating yes unusual different i remember having a drink once remember richard harris the actor so richard harris he was um god it's a massive movie star and i remember meeting him in soho uh, sorry in this the um the coal hole by the savoy he lived in the savoy mm. Did he? Yeah, he lived in the Savoy. Um, fabulous. And he was my my mother was obsessed with him. You know, she, he was her crush. And I said to him, "Let's phone me mum." Right. And I phoned me mum. She said, "I'm watching the bill. Can you call back?" I said, "Mum, I've got Richard Harris on the phone." She said, "Sod off." I said, "I've got Richard Harris on the phone." I said, "She said, well, your dad's watching the bill. If I hide behind the sofa, I'll take the call." Right. <laughs> And he sat flirting with my mum while she hid behind the sofa while my dad was watching the bill. <laughs> but he... Well, How did you become friends with Richard Harris? I met him through a friend, a, mutual, a friend who was a writer. And they were very close friends. He introduced me. I've always been a bit obsessed with Ava Gardner. Mm. And he had a long affair with Ava Gardner. So he sat telling me all these stories about Ava in the coal hole and, and talking about his career and his life. And I have to say, Richard, he, maybe he was in his late 70s, early 80s at the time. He was doing the Harry Potter around that time. And he had more sexual appeal in his little finger than some of the young hunks I'd met. He was so sexy, so raw, so vigorous. Really? Oh, my God, he was gorgeous. He was sizzling with charisma. And then when he died, uh, the story goes that he was getting wheeled out the Savoy in on a stretcher, and uh, he shouted at reception. He said, uh, don't eat here. The food's shite. Look what's happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> Got taken off and then died. God bless him. What, a, what an amazing departing line. Yeah, <laughs> don't need to hear the food shite. <laughs> Who's been your greatest friend, do you think, in life? My greatest friend? Yeah. I've got my mum, who I'm very, very close to. And I've got a friend called Derek, who's my my um, little boy's godfather. And he's is our friendship is changing all the time. It's lovely because I can't do maths. I'm numerically dyslexic. And when Jackson gets mathematics homework, I, I want to bury my head under the cover and cry. You know, I can't do it. And Derek takes over and he does his maths homework with him oh. on Zoom. And he's just, it's a friendship that's evolving and changing, which is lovely. And we met on 60 Minute Makeover. He was an interior designer uh -huh. on 60 Minute Makeover. And uh, yeah, he's a, he's a very, very good friend. I'm a mum. You're really close to your mum, aren't you? Very close to my mum, yeah. Very, very close. You know, she's very black and white. She tells it as it is, you know. And this, she's got no filter, my mum, which can be fabulous, but really can be horrendous sometimes. <laughs> we went to see a play the other night, and um, it was quite serious, and it was a bit heavy going. And I'm watching it, and my mum's my mum starts getting a cob on during, and she's oh, she's tutting loudly, and oh, whatever. Oh, when's the interval? Oh, and she's like whispering like she's in a helicopter, you know. And I'm like, mother, shut up, you know. <laughs> well, you know, 
I love her for that as well. <laughs> in terms of your friendship with your mum, did that change much when you became a mum? Yes. Mm. I questioned my mum a lot when I became a mum. Did you? As a mother, yeah. Just things that had happened when I was a kid and stuff. I'm like, mum, how could you have done that or let that happen? She says, oh, times were different then, you know. And now I just know how protective I am over Jackson. Mm. And maybe things were different in the 70s. But now if she tells me off because he's got a mark on him on his vest, I'm like, mother, you can talk. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Shall we talk? You know, <laughs> do not judge. Let me just get my childhood diaries out. Yeah. If we could Abs go back to 1983. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. She's a w most wonderful grandmother. She's a fantastic grandmother. She's brilliant with Jackson. Is she? Yeah, he's changed her life. Yeah, because you know, I see that you, you go on holiday together, the three of you, a lot. Yeah, we're very, very close. Very close, yeah. She's brilliant. And, you know, she's kind of in her 70s, but she's nothing stops her. She jumps on the train. She'd get planes, trains, automobiles. She'd, she'd travel anywhere to be to spend an hour with Jackson, and that's lovely. Oh, so she loves him as intensely as you do. Oh, yeah. And she freely admits she loves him more than she ever loved me. <laughs> freely admits. It was just, you know, just accept it. Oh, it's joyous to say it really is. And I think with grandparents, it's the thing they can hand them back. So they, ca yeah. they can love them and they can be fabulous and they can give them all the nice things without having to do the discipline or, you know, the parenting as such. Yeah, the tough love. Just yeah, that's the love. It. Absolutely. Yeah, just to do the love. Um, Making the journey back up to Liverpool for Eurovision. Are you taking Jackson with you? Are you staying at your mum's? I've got my flat up there. Have you? Yeah, I've still kept my flat in Liverpool. I love it. I love it. I, I kind of split my time between the two. I bought a flat in the docks in the 90s. And I absolutely love it. I was there last night. No, yes, I was just been there the last two days. And I love it. And so you've Jack's, got a base there still? Yeah, I've still got a base there. Wow. And funny enough, when I started like... Um, buying a few different properties. I had a house in Spain and I, Spain was my absolute passion. And then since I've had Jackson and we've got the, the links back to Liverpool a lot more now, I kind of, um, I sold Spain and I just think I could never part with Liverpool. It's, it's, my, it's my home, it's my base, it's my little safety place, I love it. And does Jackson love he going loves to it. Liverpool? Yeah. Absolutely loves it. I say to him sometimes when I go home and, Things are a lot cheaper at home and all the families around us say, Jackson, should we move back home? And he says, oh, no, I love London, mummy. I love London. We've got the best of both worlds. <laughs> well, London is his home, I guess, right? It is. Yeah, he calls himself a London boy. You've been very canny, actually, Claire, with property and making making smart investments to look after yourselves. Yeah, it was never really investments. I just never sold. I bought and kept, bought and kept. Um, and then I was, what we were talking about, you know, earlier with property, I always said, right, that flat is my child's education and that's my pension or whatever, you know. And um, yeah, yeah I've, been, I've been lucky. I never had any bad habits where I was spending my money elsewhere as such. So uh, I've been quite lucky with the property. Well, you always have to have that kind of, you know, rainy day mentality, don't you, in this business? Certainly with, like, lockdown, I think, you know, you didn't yeah. work for a year. Well, I well, absolutely. And I was so lucky. I'd sold a f my house in Spain in 2019. So I was quite comfortable. I had a little nest egg there. And then lockdown happened. And it was so funny talking about the press before. I did a piece for the Times, the money page on the Times. And they said, oh, what did you make this year? And I said, well, it's lockdown. I've not made any. I've probably five grand. No one's worked, you know. And uh, and then I spoke about my property in Spain. They were, I was quite honest in this interview. And that got taken. 
And in the press, the story became Claire Sweeney, so broke during lockdown, only earned 5K, had to sell a house in Spain. <laughs> and I was like, what? That's that's literally not, true. not the story. <laughs> and I'm quite a proud person, you know. Yeah. But I'm very honest as well. If I was, I'd tell the truth. Yeah. And that wasn't what I said at all. I'd sold the house two years before lockdown. <laughs> And suddenly it became that. And I had all my mates calling me, are oh, you all right? Do you need any help? <laughs> I'm, no, I'm okay. I'm fine. <laughs> I know. But continued success in, in everything that you do, Claire. And there's no kind of second guessing what it is that you might do next. You've presented shows. You've made albums. You can sell West End shows. Uh, I, I mean, is there anything left that you would like to tick off a list? Or is it just more of the same, please? I think more, more of the same. I, I, it's, I, it's, you know... I'm enjoying getting back into drama. I just did a TV drama last year, which is coming out this September. And I'm enjoying doing more screen acting, which is nice. And especially the comedy roles. That's nice because I did like 10 years in theatre, touring West End, a lot of time there. And now I don't want to do that so much because it's nice to do short stints, but I've got my boy and I want to spend time with my boy. So um, things that make me happy, things that stretch me and things that don't take me away for too long. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Hallelujah. Amen. Enjoy <laughs> Eurovision. Thank you so much, Kate. I really hope we win. I mean... I know, it's a good song, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah, actually. Yeah, it's really good, isn't it? But don't let that get in the way of a Eurovision victory. I know. <laughs> anyway, it's the Eurovision, right? It's a, a beast of a show and, a, and then all of its own. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, thank you for coming. Thank you. And I love Rob. this podcast. I think it's brilliant. Thank you, darling. Yeah. And thank you for coming on. And hopefully we'll have you back. Thank you. <laughs> A huge thanks to Claire Sweeney. Don't forget you can hear her in action on the night with the BBC's Eurovision coverage on Radio Merseyside. You can also catch her show on BBC Sounds, Claire Sweeney Meets. There's three seasons up there with one more in the pipeline. And if you're in the mood to listen in on more chats with some of the Eurovision greats uh, from previous episodes, we've got Scott Mills, Hannah Waddingham, Louis Walsh, Michael Ball, Una Healy and Blue in our back catalogue. My thanks to you as always for lending us your ears to Maria Nibs and the Yahoo Studios team who produced the show with me. Editing is by Eleanor Humphrey and our music comes courtesy of Andy Bell. Don't forget, you can always check out his solo material as well as his work with Ride and Oasis wherever you get your music. I'll be back next Friday with more great guests. Until then, thanks so much for your company. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.